Hello. If you're listening to this, you're either a subscriber to the old Morning Martini podcast, or you're one of the first visitors to the all-new WisconsinConservatives.com. So, either good to talk to you again, or hello and welcome aboard. My name is Nick Nelson, and my first foray into conservative commentary was at a website I co-edited with my friend Chris Rochester, who today is communications director at McIver Institute, and in fact, he'll be featured in a future interview on this site and on this program. If you're familiar with the old Martini cast and its old parent website, this series will be a little bit different. I'm not so much interested in opining about the news of the day, but instead talking to the people, the personalities, and the politicians who make up this state's robust grassroots conservative movement. The purpose of this podcast and of this new website, WisconsinConservatives.com, is to tell those stories. It's to rally the troops, build the team, and do everything we can to get people to the polls in November. Not to protect the very top of the ticket, but to be sure we protect our legislative majorities and continue the conservative reforms of the last couple years. So, enough of me. On to the first guest at the all-new WisconsinConservatives.com podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, writer and blogger, James Richardson. I am uh, James Richardson. I'm the education reporter for Wisconsin Watchdog. I'm also a weekly columnist for the Waukesha Freeman, a contributor to Write Wisconsin, and a contributor to the McIver Institute's website. So if you're involved in Wisconsin conservative politics, you've read some of your stuff at some point. Yeah, at least accidentally. (laughs) Even if you're not looking for it, you've you've seen them. Have you always been a right-winger? Pretty much. Uh, I grew up in a household where where my grandmother was living with us, and she was a big Reagan supporter. And uh, so I've always had that conservative influence on me. Uh, in high school, I discovered National Review and William F. Buckley, and uh, my science fiction reading was Robert Heinlein. So between all of that, I, there was no way really to escape my, my destiny there. I'm not familiar with Ro- Robert Heinlein? Yes, the science fiction writer. Okay, what, uh, what does he write? I'll have to check str- this out. Stranger in a Strange Land. He's very libertarian-minded. Okay. So just don't read it for the naughty parts. Just read it for the <laughs> intelligent parts. Sure. Is it almost like an Ayn Rand kind of parallel thing? Like No, I, I think he's a little more uh, laid back than Ayn Rand. <laughs> a little less bloodthirsty. <laughs> less, less bloodthirsty, <laughs> less with the whip. And th- <laughs> sure. All right. So that's I didn't know we had a libertarian conservative sci-fi propaganda like that. So you, you grew up in this household where everyone's espousing these beliefs and that stuck with you. You were never radicalized in college or no, I, know, I managed some girl to, or anything at some point. No, I, I chased after liberal women, but I, <laughs> I, I never became one myself. Um, in college, I was exposed to liberal ideas and we, we would debate them. But professors were, at that time, professors were more interested in drawing out their conservative students and having them participate in class. And I even had one professor uh, in political theory who who said, I really want more of you in your, in your term paper and things like that. And so <clears throat> when he uh, asked us to write a comparison of, of liberalism, socialism, and communism, 
I said that they were all irrelevant to the modern age, and the only ideology relevant to the modern age was conservatism, <laughs> and then wrote 10 pages on that. Back when that kind of thing was encouraged, and you could do that without making someone run to a safe space. Yeah, I was just going to say, these days I would have ended up in the dean's office where I'd be told that I needed to either be re-educated or go elsewhere for an education. Well, and I think that's one of the the problems now and, and the premise of this whole project is there was a time when those ideas mattered. Now there's pushback. Now there's pushback from uh, the left, of course, but even on the right. And we see that with um, the presumptive nominee. And, and so how do you win the war of ideas when ideas might not matter? I think you just keep on plugging. Uh, obviously, it in ideas influenced me and i i think that the approach that paul ryan wants to take towards politics is definitely the approach towards the future 2016 is going to come it's going to go and when the election's over there's still going to be a republican party as fragmented as it will be and the conservative movement will be fragmented it'll take ideas to weld that all back together before you can have a popular movement again so to, to recover it, there will have to be ideas. There's no reason to give up on them and just write bumper sticker slogans. No, I, I would I would definitely disagree with the bumper sticker slogan okay. approach. Okay, encouraging. <laughs> um, when you consider during the 1960s and the 50s, conservatism was, was basically William F. Buckley and yeah. National Review, and that was it. Um, it was that idea that attracted politicians and then the neoconservatives came in and showed the empirical results of, of how conservatism can work in, in government. And eventually you ended up with a Ronald Reagan. And I think that we're in that phase again where we're just going to have to go through our growing pains again and redefine what conservatism is for the future. It's going to take leaders like Paul Ryan. It's going to take uh, intellectual leaders over at National Review and at the American Enterprise Institute and places like that to really set forth a program that's going to appeal to a larger public again. And here at home, you, Wisconsin is just this weird laboratory of conservatism. You look at Ron Johnson, who's a freshman senator, but I mean, he's the, behind the, the famous Hillary outburst. Chairman of the RNC is from Wisconsin. Scott Walker ran for president as briefly as that was, but he's still a national figure. Paul Ryan was a VP. It's just weird. We have this confluence of people here in Wisconsin. And so, I mean, is there anything... I've argued before that that Scott Walker's model and leadership here in Wisconsin is something any governor could template and use in his home state. So in terms of shaping those ideas, what, what has to happen here in Wisconsin, maybe keep happening or change... To, uh, to keep those ideas alive throughout the country? Well, I think is that the main thing is, is we can't turn back on what has worked. What has worked is, is by demonstrating principle and showing principled conservatism here in Wisconsin, Republicans have achieved success. It was when they walked away from their principles in 2006 that they got spanked. In 2008, they got spanked. And, and it was not until they recovered their principles and said, hold us accountable in 2010 that they recovered the majority. Surprised, certainly the Democrats, who didn't bother to do the redistricting before they left office. Right. Um, so I think if we stay true to our principles of limited government, uh, promoting economic growth, promoting opportunity, 
that attracts people that are not necessarily ideologically inclined, but definitely want to be part of a winning program. And I think leadership is a big component there too. And and Scott Walker's ability to identify, say, here's what I want to do, here's why I want to do it, and then sell people on that message. Oh, definitely. I, I think what was unique about Wisconsin is you had Wright's previous here was the chairman of the party when the party decided it had to recover its moorings again. Uh, and you had Scott Walker emerge at the right time. You had Paul Ryan with his with his roadmap to prosperity. All of those things came together at just the right time in Wisconsin to build that majority. And uh, I think it was that kind of leadership that made 2010 possible. And we're still seeing the benefits of it. And this is going to be a change in Wisconsin that's going to last quite some time. If you remember, I mean, Mary Burke ran against Act 10, but she never said that she was willing to repeal it. No. She just said that, well, that's not what I would have done. But she was never willing to do that and say that she was going to repeal it because Act 10 is working. And these conservative policies are working. And that is why Republicans are continuing to win. Which which state legislative races are on your radar this cycle? I mean, there's very few of them that are that are going to change. Um, I'm pleased that Dave Craig has managed to avoid a primary yeah. for the state senate race in the in the Mary to re- succeed Mary Lozick. Um, as I always joke in Waukesha, we don't have primaries; we have meetings. Just sometimes the meetings <laughs> don't always go well. Uh, <clears throat> I I do think that um, you're going to have the the usual uh, conflict. Uh, around the margins, especially up north, um, where where conservatism is not the same brand as southeastern Wisconsin conservatism. Right. So we'll see what happens. How 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 do you see it being different up central northern Wisconsin? Well, outside of Madison, the Madison Milwaukee, you know, sphere. There's Madison Milwaukee and the rest of the state. So how does conservatism vary in those in those areas? Well, I think there it's more of a of a regional interest rather than um, a true conservative party up there, and I think that it's 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 not as ideological, not what we're used to down in southeastern Wisconsin or even in the Madison area, where there's stark differences between the two parties. Right. I think up there it's more of a of a constituency based sure. type of government. And not necessarily anything wrong with that that either. No, but sometimes it does get frustrating for those of us that are observing from southeastern Wisconsin right. to watch a legislator up there saying, Well, why are you trying to push school choice on us right. when our school districts are fine? Okay, well, well, but then you don't have a Republican vote at all in the legislature if there aren't people that are going to move to the middle and and listen to their to their constituents, right? And I and I I do think that we we need to always remember that to win elections, it's a broader coalition. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just going to be the hardcore conservatives, and I think that the. <laughs> that the Trump supporters tend to forget that it's yeah. not going to be just their um, enthusiasm that's going to carry them through, that somehow they have to expand to a much broader coalition to win in a much broader electorate. Well, and even if their hardliners were to get elected across the board, there's no magic wand to wave. There's still a process to follow. There's not this autocratic 
streak where Paul Ryan could just undo the eight years of Obama. And I, I think you're right. That gets lost on some of the flamethrowers. Well, definitely. I think that the whole idea that there is a process tends to get lost on people. Yeah. Um, that unless you have control of all three branches of government, you're not going to get everything that you want. In Wisconsin, we were fortunate that the Republicans were able to take not only control of the state legislature, but take control of the governor's office, and also that we have a conservative Supreme Court. So those three things managed to to come together to help us get the conservative agenda through. At the national level, it's still a divided government. There are still limits on, on the powers of the executive. There's still limits on the powers of the legislature. And the Supreme Court is proven to be a coin toss. You mentioned National Review and, and that shaping the, the you know, Goldwater Revolution and everything. Um, what, who, I guess not what, who, who do you like to read? Who are some of your columnist authors that you, you, you go to? Well, I like to read, uh, Jonah Goldberg. Um, I just enjoy his style. I, I go to the, uh, Ricochet website and I get the, their morning report and uh, Jim Garrity, who also writes for National Review. I enjoy him very much. I follow John Podhoritz on Twitter. He's hilarious on Twitter. I want to favorite and retweet everything he puts out, but I'll feel like some freak. Yeah, I don't want to be a stalker. That's <laughs> right. a, I find myself after three of them, I go, if I, if I retweet one more thing he says, he's going to start thinking I'm a stalker. He's a funny guy. Um, so dry. It's so dry and direct and biting. Yeah, I, yeah the, he's good. The, the perspective that he brings is somebody, now in his case, he writes a a lot about culture and, yeah. he, and he's a movie reviewer. So he, he ends up giving a different kind of spin to, to uh, what's going on in the world. And I really enjoy him versus like some policy guy, right. for example, um, your, your favorite thing to write about. Oh, well, my favorite thing to write about. Well, right now it's education. I mean, it worked out that I became the education reporter at watchdog. Uh, I love writing about school choice. I love writing about, uh, education reform, those types of issues definitely att attract me. I came out of the Milwaukee public school system, a graduate of Milwaukee Vincent in 1986. Um, so school choice to me is very important. I'm also a parent of a child that, that is taking advantage of school choice. He goes to an online charter school. So these things are very important to me. Uh, otherwise, I really enjoy writing about what's going on at the legislature when the legislature is in session. Some of the bills that they come up with, some of the crazy <laughs> ideas, both sides. I mean, right. you just they're, they're read, pet projects. You read through these these legislative summaries, and you go, "What were they thinking?" <laughs> so, can you any, any recent ones come to mind? Last from the last time out. Oh, I. It's, my favorite was the uh, they wanted to increase the county sales tax to pay for road repairs. And I exposed that and it ended up dying. And I remember hearing from legislators that were just ticked off at me because I had exposed it. And they said, well, what would you do to fix the roads? And I said, I'll tell you what I wouldn't do. I wouldn't raise the county sales tax to do it. So they didn't like that answer, but... Again, the Republicans backed off from doing that. I want to touch on um, Ron Johnson a little bit. Do you think you could describe what his message is this time out after one term? 
that he's still an outsider. That, that's pretty much the the message. I'm a one-term outsider. Yeah. That I'm trying to still do reforms. Uh, <clears throat> I think that those. I don't think that Ron has ever made the the emotional connection with the, with his constituents. So, I his message is kind of a muddle yet. Yeah. And I'm waiting for that. You know, crisp. You you were talking earlier about bumper sticker politics. To a certain extent, you do need that summary of yourself, provided to, it's backed up with something. Yeah, it more. has to be backed with. Right. You know, can't just say make Washington great again. <laughs> I think Ron has to come up with with some way to sum up what his reelection is about, other yeah. than I'm still not Russ Feingold, especially when he's running against the same guy right. again. Did you? I was surprised that Feingold had got got in months ago now, and it's almost been it was late fall, I think, late summer, early fall. Did were you were you expecting that? I was expecting him to come back. I think he had always talked about it, um, you know, what how important it was that he was a senator, and I think he was a, definitely a creature of the Senate. I don't think he ever ever got over the fact that he lost. Yeah, it was it was personal to him. More than, oh, well, I lost. I'll go do something else with my life. It's what he knows. It's what he wants to do. Is He wants to be in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Remember, people were talking about Russ running for president at one point. Boy, you're right. So now he's not that important. The only <laughs> way he gets his mojo back is to get back into the U.S. Senate. It, it defines him, yeah. Yeah. And I was, well, I the talk Chris and I would always have in, on Martini in that podcast was that Ron Kind would run for that seat. And I think that was the calculation behind getting in so early was to clear that field and not have some bloody primary battle. Right. And certainly to remove any doubt, will he, won't he, that kind yeah. of stuff. As much as that would be great to have that kind of attention on him, at the same time, the will he, won't he while he's standing in California would have been bad. <laughs> right. So I, he, he had to get in, he had to make it clear that, yes, I am running, by the way, all my campaign staff are back because I've been paying them for the last six years. And we're ready to go and we're going to take back this seat. And the Democrats have always kind of treated Feingold as the savior that was going to come rescue them. Remember, they wanted him to run against Walker during the recall. A bunch of them did. And he had to make it clear that he was not going to get involved in that race. What would you like to see out of, out of Ron Johnson's campaign to, to compete with that? I think what I'd really like to see out of Ron Johnson's campaign right now is just a, a clear, coherent message about about reform and talking about reform. I'm afraid that what's that if he ties himself too closely to Donald Trump, he's going to have to spend his entire campaign defending Donald Trump rather than talking about himself and what yeah. his efforts are. So really, he needs to talk about reform. I think he started doing that. Now, but he, the message has to be clear, not only on, on what he's going to accomplish, but what he's done in it, the last six years. I don't think that, that Wisconsinites even are aware of what he's been doing in Washington. It's that idea leadership we talked about at the beginning, is someone to own them and, and sell them to, to people. And that's never been his strong point, to your, your point. No, he, he's definitely not Paul Ryan, or he's even not Scott, Scott Walker. Um, but he's he also doesn't have that ordinary touch to him either. Right. 
So which kind of makes him kind of uh, off-putting even to his Republican supporters. And it just, he just, if he can't bridge the warmth gap, yeah. at least make that leap on the idea gap and sell that this is what I'm about. I'm about reform and, and try to sell that as, as his way of getting reelected. If you had to pick one, and this is purely emotional, but your favorite Wisconsin conservative, living or dead? I'm going to say Paul Ryan. He's definitely the closest to uh, Jack Kemp. When I was uh, coming up in politics, I was a big admirer of Jack Kemp, and I think Paul Ryan embodies that Jack Kemp spirit, and I really, really uh, am an admirer of his courage in taking on issues like entitlement reform. The most famous Wisconsinite you've ever met? Well, I've met... uh, Governor Tommy Thompson, I would say, is probably the most famous Wisconsinite I've ever met, at least in Wisconsin. Uh, your favorite Wisconsin brewed beer? My favorite Wisconsin brewed beer is Kugels. I remember drinking Kugels in college when it was a cheap beer <laughs> and not a quote-unquote craft beer. I remember the Kugel brothers going around from bar to bar trying to, trying to hock their beer to the public. I am still a Line and Kugels fan. Classic lineys, or I mean, classic summer shandy. No, you, no, you like no. plain old line lineys. No. In fact, I even when Dick Line and Kugel was flirting with running for the Senate, I I interviewed him, and the first question I asked him was, "What the hell were you thinking with Barry Weiss?" <laughs> <laughs> Probably threw him off for the rest of the interview. Poor guy. Uh, your favorite Wisconsin vacation spot. Oh, in Wisconsin, my uh, in-laws have a cabin up near Presque Isle. Okay. You go, is that like a summer place to go? Do you go all, t- all kinds of year? Uh, we haven't been going as much as we've, as we've wanted to, yeah. but usually you can go all times of year. Okay. It's got an oil heater in there that, that manages to melt the snow off the roof. My uh, near Wisconsin favorite place, though, to, to go to is Galena, Illinois. I, I love going down to Galena. It's it's uh, where where the Grant Museum is, and where yeah, General but this Grant's is the from. Wisconsin Conservative I Podcast. Know, so but I, I I gotta make the plug because <laughs> I go so often. Um, and now this is when I ask everybody, but it's tricky because you you contribute to these. I ask favorite Wisconsin centric blog or publication, but I, I don't know if I can make you pick. You might get <laughs> your check signers managing. I might get blackballed. <laughs> Yeah, let's see who writes me the biggest check. <laughs> no, uh, <clears throat> I joke about it, but I'm kind of a survivor. There was for a while we had a very thriving blogosphere here in Wisconsin, and um, now Kevin's with Kevin Benversi is now with Right Wisconsin, and uh, and uh, I'm writing for everybody and. And Sean Hackbarth is now with the uh, U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And so it's kind of interesting to see where all the bloggers have gone. But, man, favorite Wisconsin conservative website? Maybe if you could bring one back from those days. Is there one that was around that didn't make it anymore? Owen Robinson still blogs at Boots and Saber. And is, I used to kick him around quite a bit and, <laughs> and tease him quite a bit. But I always used to joke that if I didn't have Owen to tease... I'd have to invent them, so we'll we'll 
give Owen a plug. All right, and then you have to pick one to have for the rest of your life. Not the only one, but you can only have one or the other. Beer or cheese curds? Wow. <laughs> can I have beer battered cheese curds? <laughs> That's a fair compromise. Sure. I like that. That's inventive. Cheese curds as long as they're beer battered. <laughs>